Well, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the I Brew My Own Coffee podcast. We're the podcast for people who care about coffee. This is episode 33. I'm your host, Brian Sheely. Joining me today, as always, is my good buddy. He's my co-host. He's the brewer of bodacious beans and the holder of the holiday cone, Mr. Brian Bikey. Hello, Brian. Hello, everybody, and hello, Brian. And we are honored today to welcome a very special guest. She is the co-owner of Square One Coffee in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. She is the chair of the USCC, the head judge of the Barista and Brewers Cup competitions coming up next week. She is also the head judge of this podcast. We're pleased to welcome a friend of the show. Jess Steffi. Welcome to the show, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I am now the head judge of this podcast. I don't think you've ever had a head judge on this podcast before. No, seriously, so. we really need a judge because I think uh, <laughs> I think we need to be scored very, uh, very poorly for this episode. <laughs> it would be funny if after we talk about what we've been drinking, she scores all, each time that we say something. Oh, I had this. 82. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. I'll just be uh, holding up numbers over here that you can't see, yeah. so... So we usually start the episode by talking about some of the coffees that we are currently enjoying. So Jess, we're going to put you on the spot and uh, ask you what you've been brewing. Well, um, so it is competition season, so I've been tasting a lot of competition coffee, which is fairly, um, uh, I guess it's secretive. We'll let the competitors reveal what coffees they're using when they when they get on stage. So I won't talk Absolutely. about that coffee. You're the first. You're the first person who's had secretive coffee on the. Uh, oh, on the secretive coffee. Oh well, secretive but coffee. I've been brewing. I haven't been brewing that myself. I've been tasting that brewed by my competitors. So for mm-hmm. what I have brewed, the most recent coffee I've brewed was the Kenya uh, Giacanja, which um, I had the privilege of visiting that co-op in November. Uh, and seeing how they're operating and where the reinvestment from some of last year's uh, uh, wages went um, in that co-op. So that was really cool. So I don't know if it's like the coffee was already delicious as it was. Like it's a complex uh, tropical fruit, stone fruit, florals, um, brown spice, to use a term that was just now coined by the new SCAA flavor wheel that got released. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, brown spice, where have you been all my life? Because, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's not cardamom or clove, but it's brown spice, you know? So it's like a great in-between for when you don't know or you're in-between. Um, yeah, there's a lot of complex, complex nuances going on in that coffee. And then to meet the people who made it possible – I even if I screw up the brew, which is hard to do, I will still love that cup of coffee. How have you been? Uh, have you been brewing it? I am partial to the Chemex when I'm actually going to manually brew my coffee. I am a mom, and so we definitely have a Bonavita auto drip brewer that we utilize. And uh, but yeah, when I'm going to actually brew a manual cup, I am partial to the Chemex. Yeah, that sounds awesome. We had the opportunity to brew up that Giaconja in our office on the Chemex, and man, was it delicious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Brian, how about you, man? What are you brewing? So I got a mystery package in this. I don't remember if it was this, what day is today. Okay, so this weekend, or just before the weekend, um, and it was from Counterculture, and it was the El Puente Honduras, and it's a geisha variety but it's their a pea berry selection from it so uh it was it was fantastic to see and it took it took me a bit by surprise i didn't i didn't know why i got it but um recently you did a coffee share with me brian for tim wendelbo's uh caballero geisha yep and that was the first time trying a geisha from honduras which uh i i really enjoy drinking geishas and 
lately, I've been really enjoying copies from Honduras. That's no surprise to a lot of the listeners of the podcast. So what most surprised me about the Tim Wendelboe was that it was very easy to brew. I, I, I personally sometimes have difficulties with his coffees, but it had all of the characteristics that I loved about Honduran coffees and yet still had a lot of the characteristics you find in Nagesha. And I, I found that really interesting. So getting into this uh, counterculture, the first day brewing it was today. For me, I don't really know when it was roasted, so I usually am afraid of getting into it too early. But I brewed it up, and it was a little sweeter than what I found in the Tim Wendebo, which was interesting just uh, for what it was in a, a little bit more like an Ethiopian than some of the Honduran characteristics that I normally find with maybe a chewier body or a more balanced body uh, or caramely body or something like that, like the Tim Wendebo had. Uh, so I still have a little bit of that Tim Wendebo. If it's still going, I might try to try and compare them, even though the age is very different, but uh, a really great coffee, a lot of, a lot of floral characteristics and it had a nice melon fruit to it. And then this really interesting kind of limey, finish that was uh, really distinct. So it's been really enjoyable. I'm excited to continue to brew that. Was that on the V60? Yeah, that was a V60. It was a really good brew. Nice. Yeah, my pick this week is the Ethiopia Fio Doraro from Augie's Coffee in Redlands, California. Uh, big, big shout out to Augie's for roasting up an amazing naturally processed Ethiopian. Uh, this coffee has been just amazing. I made it on the V60 a couple times. Uh, just filled with melon and tropical notes. And then toward the end of it, it actually finishes off with a really nice floral finish. Um, definitely enjoyed it. I also had the opportunity to have it from Bodie Leaf Coffee Roasters, uh, who also sold a green version of it as well. So mm. you know, I actually end up having this uh, the option to buy this green if I wanted to um, and try try my hand at roasting it myself. But uh, yeah, the Faya Doraro from... Augie's in uh, my Augie subscription was just off the chain. All these coffees sound fantastic today. Right? I'm very thirsty. All right. So while Brian is over here dreaming about coffee, uh, we just want to reiterate on the show how much of an honor it is to have Jess with us, not only because she's such an important figure in the specialty coffee industry, uh, being the head judge of these competitions coming up, the chair of the USCC, um, a business owner, and all the things that she does for specialty coffee. But aside from all of that, we were Google searching this past week in preparation for the episode, and what should pop up but her picture on the cover of Barista Magazine back in October 2014. <laughs> um, hello? Does that come up still? I thought we fixed that. <laughs> we sent a couple of issues to you, if you wouldn't mind signing them. Oh, absolutely. Back to us. It's, but there'll be an invoice on the way back. You'll... Yo, oh, man, burn. Just, just teasing. Just At teasing. least for shipping, right? All right, so <laughs> we really appreciate you being on the show with us. We are going to be talking on this episode about something that's very timely. Uh, by the time this episode actually airs, um, only a few days later, something very big is going to happen. What's What's going on? I would guess that you're talking about the USCC pre-qualifier in Kansas City, Missouri, which is happening February 2nd through 5th. Right. So it's coming up just right around the corner, the coffee competitions. And so that's what we're going to be talking about here on the show uh, for this episode. And so we're super happy to have Jess with us, especially since she knows all the answers to all of our questions. Uh, but before we get into actually talking about competitions and all that stuff coming up, uh, Jess, where did you come from in coffee? 
How did you get introduced to specialty coffee? And seriously, how did you end up on the cover of Barista Magazine? <laughs> that is a question I'm not sure I can answer, but I can answer the rest for sure. I started in coffee, my husband and I, um, 2004, 2005, um, just part-time. We had other jobs. Um, we had just moved back to the States from living in Scotland for a couple years, and we moved back with the intention of starting a family and a business, and um, we did all of those things within several months of moving back. Um, so yeah, and that first uh, coffee business venture was a just a little kiosk in a farmer's market, just serving espresso drinks and drip coffee kind of to go for market patrons. Um, and we owned that from you know, uh, 2004 up until 2007, 2008. Um, 2007 is when we purchased Square One uh, because we had been working at that stand for two and a half, little, little over, almost three years. And we, we were done with the whole part-time coffee and part-time working for someone else. Um, we wanted to make it a full-time reality. So we were looking for um, locations, commercial property to open our own shop. Um, and it seemed that all of the available properties that were desirable were like right next to Square One Coffee. So we were like, Square One's OG. They've been in Lancaster since 2000. You're not going to open up a coffee shop right next to them. So, And then the phone rang and it was the owner of Square One who we were acquaintances with. He just left a message and said we should chat. And it turns out he was looking to sell and, and move on. And I guess my husband had like planted a seed in his brain years ago when he visited us at the market stand and said, hey, you know, when you're looking to sell square one, you know who to call. And, you know, two years later, we're sitting in the kitchen with our realtor looking at commercial properties and the phone rings and it's the owner of square one looking to move on. So within six months, we had taken over ownership. And we didn't tell anyone, we didn't tell all the customers that we were the new owners. We just started working like 40 hours each on the, on the bar with, with the baristas that were, that were there. And, uh, yeah, people would talk about us in front of us like, Hey, I hear this place changed ownership. Are, they, are, they, are the new owners cool or what? And we would just awkwardly walk away, you know, nah, so, they suck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, we just had to slowly take this nineties coffee shop into today. So we had to do all of the hard things like, you know, just improving the um, the quality first and foremost, like starting the roasting program um, and and how we sourced our coffee, just improving all the time, and we replaced every piece of equipment right away almost um, because it's just not up to the standard to make uh, the quality of product that we wanted. And you know, moving from fifty syrup flavors down to two or three house made syrups and sauces, you know, and focusing an emphasis on the coffee. So that was a good three or four years um, that Lancaster has really been supportive of us. And uh, yeah, today we have that same location, and then we have two more shops in Philly, um, both in Center City, um, kind of about a half mile from each other in downtown Philadelphia. So yeah, so. Square One, Brewing Competition, how do those two line up? When did that start becoming either maybe a drive, a focus, or just how did that all come about? That's a great question. So I think it was, yeah, it was 2009. So we had owned Square One for going on about two years. And um, I was the person, or actually it was my husband more at the time, who was the one who would be our barista trainer. And I was more training the staff and trying to groom people in customer service and what we, what we, the attitude we were trying to uh, put off and, or not put off and the hospitality that we wanted to convey um, 
So that was my focus. And my husband's focus was just technical espresso stuff because he had been trained and worked at Starbucks. And that was his other part-time job when he wasn't running his market stand. And I was an office admin. So, um, I felt like he had more coffee training than I did. And that was always kind of a sore spot for me because I wanted to feel really confident. I wanted to know that I knew what I was doing. And there was nowhere at that time back in 2009, uh, to go get that training without paying a lot of money. Cause there may have been some barista schools out there, but you know, there were expensive and, um, or if, if they even existed back then. Um, so I heard about, uh, barista competition, I, I'm still trying to remember how it may have been, um, just through the SCAA's website. I was like, what, there's a competition for this. Um, so, you know, you, you search, you look, you've watched a couple YouTube videos and then there, you can sign up to judge. Uh, so I signed up and I got on the train to Philly and then train up to New York city, uh, for that, that year's competition. And my mind was totally blown. I couldn't believe that all these people were pretty much just like me. I totally found like amazing friend group and a community that, um, that I totally love. Um, lots of strong friendships from, from, from 2009 still. Um, so yeah, it's a great community. And, but more importantly, I, I was inspired by the level of craftsmanship and the technical skills and the mastery of technical skills. And I was tasting coffee from uh, extracted different ways, prepared different ways from different places than what I had experienced. Um, and the knowledge level of the baristas, all of it was so inspiring to me. I came back to my shop right away and I used the technical score sheet to create a, an evaluation uh, for my staff so that they knew like what I was looking for so they could learn it. And then when they were evaluated, they would be able to see how they measured up. So we would actually, that was the beginning of us having a, a training program that that is a real training program and it's only evolved from there and gotten tighter and tighter and tighter. And right now today, I'm really proud of our, our in-house training program. We train all of our own baristas, obviously, but we train wholesale customers, baristas too. And I don't think we would have any of it if it wasn't for competition. It really was the catalyst that caused us to tighten up our game. We can do better. If we're going to be specialty, if we're going to be different, then we, we got to mean it and we've got to do everything we can to preserve the quality and provide the customer with something awesome. That's cool. I never actually really thought about that. You know, there are times where I come up and I, I see people's posts about them training. I see the, I, I watch, you know, whenever there are live streams, I don't know if they're going to have those this year, but watching live streams, but I never really thought about all the things that uh, someone would learn from the competition that they would take back and use that uh, in terms of training just for, service side of things as opposed to just being competition. So two questions that I'd kind of lead into one. So the United States coffee championships is what we're talking about. And there are a a multitude of things that, that go on in this. And so I guess the first question would end up being what goes on in these qualifying and main events. And then after that, we'll lead into, you know, what the ultimate goal or takeaway is from that. Right. So when you say U.S. coffee championships, there's a lot of different championships. Um, so this year um, in Atlanta in April is where the it's the na- it's nationals. So um, uh, the people who who are vetted and make it through Kansas City um, 
are the ones who will be invited. There'll be 36 brewers invited and 36 baristas invited. So those two competitions are what will be mainly happening in Atlanta. In the past, we've also had a U.S. latte art competition and a roasting um, competition. Those are being suspended this year so that they can be developed a little bit further um, to be on the world standard. Um, And then we can hopefully bring those back in 2017. Um, Also, the other one that we always have is the U.S. Cup Tasters Championship, but that actually already happened. It happened this year in conjunction with the Good Food Awards in San Francisco. What's up, Augies? (laughs) Yeah, Square One got a Good Food Award, too. I was so excited. We did not get to make it out there, and I was bummed because we would have gotten to hang out with the Augies folks because they are awesome. While U.S. Coffee Championships are kind of going on, too, it is part of a larger global thing right going on just coffee championships in general that's true yeah so the u.s um coffee championships um is a national body that's registered with world coffee events so world coffee events um uh, every national body that's registered can send a competitor for that competition um, as their representative. So at, at the U.S. level, we're always the ultimate goal is we're, we're looking for who's going to be that ambassador for whether it's the, the brewer or the barista or the taster. Um, yeah, who's going to be the ambassador and the representative for the U.S. at the world. And this year, um, uh, the, the, the latte art and um, cup tasters and maybe the, la- yeah, the latte art and the roasting, I think those are happening in Shanghai, but the barista and brewers will be happening in Dublin. So um it's always fun to last year they were in Seattle. So I was actually able to go and I'm certified. I'm a world certified judge as well. So I was able to go and judge the world barista championship in Seattle, uh, which was amazing. I thought my mind was blown when I was judging at the U S level or at the regional level in New York back in 2009. And then I had another one of those experiences this last year, uh, getting to taste the coffee of the winner of the world barista championship and have that in my mind for reference, you know? So that's crazy. That's pretty awesome. That's amazing. That's one thing that I've kind of seen as a little bit of a disadvantage. You know, Brian and I sit here and we try coffees and we try to try coffees from roasters around the world. And uh, it's hard not being in the same place where those coffees are roasted or brewed with the same water, with some of those same techniques. I've always found the world coffee events interesting because everyone has a different background of what their culture of coffee tastes like, whether, you know, in in specialty coffee and their own preparation of that. And I just find it fascinating because we do see whether it be us roasters having a certain tendency or leaning a certain way, that's sort of irrelevant just in, in terms of everybody and all roasting and all brewing spectrum. I mean, it is kind of, I guess there is kind of a narrow window that it it usually stays in, but I think it would be fascinating too. And I, I have yet to, be into specialty coffee while while traveling out of the country to really get an experience to to you know to know well what's also interesting about it is you have to get um calibrated with judges from all over the world so that was really interesting because a shot of espresso that to me just sang like a chorus of angels was overly sharp and acidic to someone else who's taste was a little bit or the culture the custom they didn't pull shots to that degree of acidity or they, you know, they didn't run them as long or they ran them shorter or, you know, so what to one judge was desirable and high scoring another judge could, because of their cultural background, think that that was, you know, less appealing, sour, tart, you know, so one person's 
positive is not always so but then all the judges have to get calibrated so that we are judging fairly and uniformly across the board so those judges that judges certification workshop was was challenging but really eye-opening because every part of the world they enjoy coffee a little bit they brew it differently and they enjoy it differently so you've obviously talked a little bit about um your role you know as as a judge um sort of how involved are you or what what level or what position are you at um, sort of with these uh, competitions here in the U.S. and in, at the world level? Sure. So um, you have to you have to have judged your national competition. Well, to, to judge the nationals, you have to judge regionals, and you're being judged as a judge. <laughs> so you have to score a certain number of points as a judge um, to be able to be invited to go from regionals to nationals. And then um, you have to have judged your own nationals for at least two years in a row, and then you can go and attend a a couple day long certification workshop, which is pretty intense. Some people compare it to the Q exam. Um, Some people don't. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so you do that. And that's for any competition you want to judge, whether it's the world, it's a different test and different different tests, actually, a written test, a practical test, a tasting test, all of these things. Um, So I'm certified to judge the World Barista Competition, the World Brewers Cup, the World Latte Art Competition, and the World Coffee in Good Spirits Competition, which I am trying to get that to come to the U.S., to have the U.S., because we have to have a U.S. Coffee and Good Spirits Competition so we can send an ambassador to the world level, but this is a competition that involves coffee and liquor. So that would be, I think, an interesting, and then there's a lot of coffee shops that serve alcohol in the evenings now, um, or they have a combined concept. So that I think we'll start to see more of that in the next couple years. But so I'm certified to judge those things on the world level, but that's as far as I go with, with the world level, I can attend and judge. I'm not a head judge at the world level. I would just be a sensory judge tasting and evaluating at the U S level. Um, since I've been judging for so long, I am a head judge. And then just this last year, I was asked to take over for the former chair of the competitions committee, Heather Ringwood. So I'm the competitions committee is made up of all these head judges. And then within that, there are subcommittees for each competition. So we're the ones, we're all volunteers behind the scenes, helping to plan um, and run these competitions. So in past years, uh, there have been these regional competitions, and this year is the first year that the regional competitions have actually gone away uh, in favor of this pre-qualifying event and then the national competition. Um, why are, have the regional competitions gone away? Uh, are they ever coming back? Right. That's the question. Where did the regionals go? Now, hopefully they will be because, I mean, obviously this year it was a, it was a one-off scenario where um, – yeah, it's not ideal for anyone to have to travel so far. And I, we all love the idea of uh, encouraging coffee community in lots of pockets all around the country as opposed to one massive event. So I'm we're all moving towards that. Again, there's a, an advisory committee that's been formed to help um, advise the SEAA moving forward to figure out what that's going to be. But if I have my way, regionals forever, you know. <laughs> So I guess the uh, the question is, for some of our uh, home brewing listeners who may not have ever actually seen a competition before or who might not have ever tuned into the live stream of any of them, what does the actual barista competition look like? What does the Brewer's Cup competition look like? Like if you're actually competing in those events, what would you be doing? What are some of the things that you're evaluated on or you're scored on 
to to be able to win one of these competitions. So for the the baristas, they are they have 15 minutes to serve three courses to four judges sitting in front of them while being followed around by two tech judges with clipboards and stopwatches who are bending down to see exactly how level their tamp is and counting half grams of waste uh, and half ounces of milk left in pitchers and all this stuff smudges on the machine. So they're, they're having to serve 12 drinks in 15 minutes while being perfect and robotic and engaging, having a great personality and all of that in whatever form that may take. Um, there's so many different types of competitors that are awesome, but yeah. And they're going to probably black out while they're doing it. Uh, cause <laughs> the adrenaline that's, that's standard. Um, and the brewers over on the brewer side, they have to go through two heats. They have to go through the um, compulsory heat, which is where they're given a mystery coffee. Everyone is given the same coffee, and they're it's gonna it's uh, usually they say it's gonna be from, you know, it's gonna be a Central or South American or something like that. They'll give you like some parameters, and they give you an Agtron range that it's gonna be roasted in, and it will be no more than seven to 10 days off the roast and they give you all that. And, but you you arrive and you're given a 12 ounce bag of that coffee and you have, you know, about 24 hours with that coffee, but that's all you get. And you have to prepare three individual brews of it in seven minutes. And those are taken out by runner. So it's all anonymous. No one you're, you're brewing backstage. The judges can't see you. So it's all just about the flavor in the cup and the balance and all of those things. And you're just using an SCAA cupping form there to uh, evaluate the brewed coffee. And then their second heat, they can prepare the coffee that they have brought um, for the judges. And that's um, for the brewing side. They're brewing three simultaneous brews. They have 10 minutes to do it and they have to, they're required to give tasting descriptions and those tasting descriptions need to, you know, it's not just quantity, but quality and accuracy of those tasting descriptions. Um, we had sent a competitor to Brewers Cup uh, a year or two ago, and he had an amazing, amazing coffee. And he listed like seven or eight flavor notes that were very specific. And the judges were still like, "Why did you stop at eight? That coffee was intense. That was amazing." Wow. And we we're just like, "Okay, all right." <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's the seven or eight sounds overkill. Uh, yeah, uh... we thought we were doing great. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> when a, but I guess if a coffee is that expressive, you you can't yeah. you can't shut it up. So you should just go on. So. Yeah, those are the two competitions. And backstage, it's pandemonium, but I wouldn't know about it because I'm a judge, so I'm not allowed to go there. So I hear there's whiskey floating around just to calm the nerves. I don't know. It's, that's all rumors. So, What is the goal of this competition? Like, what's the... What's the main thrust of having this competition? Well, the, the, the technical goal is, yes, we need a representative to go to the Worlds, but um, really it's to support and encourage the, the barista profession. Um, I don't know anyone who's ever trained for competition and competed who wouldn't say unequivocally that they are a better barista or a better brewer because of their training and their practice and just devoting extra time to the craft. It's always something that makes you better at it, better at your job. So, um, yeah, just, uh, yeah, support and encourage. If we do want to see people able to we want to see people who are able to be a barista and not have to leave that job because they need to make more money. Then we need to do everything we can to professionalize that career. And, um, right. 
add value to it. So I feel like um, that's what the SEAA is all about. And that's what the BGA is all about. Um, but then in addition to that, I think competition is a space where the bar is raised for our industry as a whole. And there's a lot of innovation that happens on that stage that then give it six months, a year, you'll see it filter down into filter down. That was a coffee pun. Um, you'll see it filter down into coffee shops. Um, I mean, a great- you're clearly not talking about an EK grinder, are you? Oh, no, I was just going to say the Matt Perger of it all. And I mean, <laughs> the dragon brewer made its debut on the brewer's cup stage. So, I mean, right. there's a lot that goes into it. And I don't know if people would be pushing these boundaries if they didn't have to get up there and try to win this thing. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of inspiration that happens and innovation that happens because of competition. Yeah, it's really cool to see those innovations happen and to kind of get that inspiration to go uh, take the lessons that you learn and do something with them. It almost sounds like that was your story, right? And, you know, going to this competition the very first time and judging, and then totally. you were able to come back and apply a lot of those lessons to the things that you were doing at square one there. Absolutely. And it's still happening. I mean, at the Worlds this year, there were people vacuum sealing espresso to remove the oxygen and there were sous-veeing, they were sous-veeing things. And instead of traditional coffee processing in, in fermentation tanks that are concrete, they, these were stainless steel, more like the wine industry and carbonic maceration. And there's just all of this brand new stuff that is blowing my mind. I don't even have time to wrap my mind around because of my life right now. But yeah, if, if, if I was a barista watching these, I would just, it would propel me forward to, to learn more, I'm sure, you know. So from the perspective of obviously a barista, you kind of talked about them really just owning their profession sort of as a, as a competitor. Um, for somebody who actually gets a chance to win one of these competitions, what does this really mean uh, to them like in the long run? Obviously, it's bragging rights. Uh, oh, I'm totally. Sure, but. I mean, that picture with you thrusting the big trophy up in the air is yep. priceless for sure. But um, I mean, the past winners have gone on to um, have get gigs, paid gigs, um, Krups and uh, Revel. Some of the other um, home residential sort of coffee companies are excited to get the U.S. Barista Champion to be the spokesperson. So there's paid opportunities for that. Um, all of all of the past champions. I'm pretty sure have done consulting roles where, you know, people will hire them for an hourly rate or daily rate or whatever to come into their cafe and just pick the low hanging fruit, help them tighten up their operation, um, train baristas, all sorts. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there can be a job that comes from it. Also, um, you, I mean, you can pretty much get a job wherever you want in coffee. <laughs> so yeah. if you have aspirations of that or start your own uh, shop, obviously we've got, uh, Charles Babinski did very well in competition before he won and was able to um, open up shops and have notoriety without winning. So the fact that he won this last year is just a cherry on top for him. But yeah, doing well, even making it to the top six, even if you don't win, the top six are always, for all of us who follow competition and anyone even kind of on the perimeter of it, you remember who made the top six pretty much. So, so yeah, it's definitely beyond bragging rights. There's a lot of swag and there's some great professional opportunities that can come from it. What kind of perks come to whether it be a, a shop that's represented or uh, a roaster in the, of the or farm, you know, the coffee that's used in a competition like that? Uh, you would have you would have your 
it would probably boost sales of that coffee. I mean, people want to taste that coffee. It sounded so good. You just listen to that barista or brewer talk about it for 10 to 15 minutes and wax poetic about it. And now you want some. So um, if it's available for sale and it's the winning coffee, obviously you're going to probably sell out of it or um, move a lot of it anyway. And I think we do get um, people, I don't know, I feel like because we're in, we were always in Lancaster, you know, before we had a shop in Philly, we were fairly isolated, didn't feel like we had a lot of um, opportunities to learn. So, you know, I had to take the train to New York City and, and, and do all of this. So bringing it back to my my little shop in Lancaster, it's we're, we're slowly making changes from the ground up and the quality is improving. But people in Lancaster, I, I feel like, weren't always aware of what they were getting when they came to us. They They wouldn't be this is a great cup of coffee, obviously, but you know, I kind of thought it was a great cup of coffee two years ago too. So what changed? I don't really know, but these people are nice and I'm going to keep coming back. So they might not have understood all of the effort that we were putting into making the coffee so much, so much more enjoyable. Um, but, uh, when we compete and do well and we're covered by our local news media, everyone starts to buzz and it's like, Oh, who's square one? They, they're like going to the national competition. They're, we're in Lancaster. This is a town of 60,000 people. Why are they in the national competition? I'm going to go check it out. So I think it does a lot for us locally. Um, and then online for, for whatever coffees used. Um, I, I, that's just us personally. I, I can't say it's done a, a ton of monetary monetarily. It hasn't done a ton for us, but, um, yeah, just the level of training of our baristas and the the knowledge of oh, and the community pride, I guess uh, the knowledge of the industry, the connections made, the community that you're involved in. All my baristas, I feel like, are a lot more fulfilled in their jobs, knowing that they're a part of this bigger community. That it's not just latte after latte after latte, but there's a whole guild of baristas like them, and they have. You know, there's barista camp now and there's, you know, uh, retreats and all sorts of skill building workshops. There's so many more ways today for a professional barista to get educated and trained than there were back in 2004, 2005. Now, I mean, back then competition was around, but that may have been the only way to learn something. Like I want to learn more about this industry, so I'm going to compete. And so you would do terribly because you weren't trained and you didn't know what you were doing, but you learned from your failure. It's kind of how the early baristas started out. But now you don't have to just go flop on your face at competition. You can take all these classes to prepare yourself to get to that level and then compete if you want to or, or not. But uh, it's so interesting to see where the industry has evolved in the last 12 years. You know, so there, there's the opportunities to learn and grow. Competition isn't the only way, but it is, I would say, the master class um, where, where baristas who have really honed all of their technical skills and just achieved mastery, where they go to, to showcase that. You mentioned earlier uh, when you were talking about judges and we were talking about uh, across the world that you know there, there are different things that judges are used to from their coffee. So both on a U.S. level and then I guess just in general – what does it what does it take to get a winning routine? Like what all maybe not all what of what is scored, but what does the whole picture look like? What what really seals the deal for a competitor? Well, for 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 the barista side, it's um, if you look at the score sheets, which are those are all on the USCC website, um, you'll see each category. Um, there's a taste balance score and a flavor description score. So the one score taste balance is about the combination of uh, 
the sweetness, the acidity, and the bitterness. So they don't all have to be present in equal amounts, but they have to play well together. Um, if it's acidity forward, there should be some bitterness and some sweetness to support that. And how do they work together? So we're scoring um, the taste balance, and it's a zero to six scale um, with half points after one point. So um, then the flavor description is the barista's own description of how their coffee will taste. So that's that's the same for the espresso course, the milk beverage course, and the signature beverage course. So um, seeing that on there, yeah, it's balance is important and accuracy of flavor descriptions are important. So for a barista, they're going to have to have a coffee that is balanced. They can't bring a coffee that that lacks balance or that, you know, that is that's dirty or has distracting other flavors. You know, um, you're going to want a coffee that's got a nice balance of sweetness, acidity, and bitterness. And a lot of people... I mean, the sweetness in coffee that we say, especially since we're talking about like a straight up shot of espresso would just say, no, absolutely. There's no sweet. There's no sweetness there. Absolutely not. Um, but yes, yeah, specialty coffee is dripping with sweetness in comparison to, you know, commercial grade or robusta coffee, you know, which, which is just like unpalatable. So there's definitely sweetness there. And I think the trick of a good brewer of a good barista is to bring that out, um, in, in the brewing process. So, uh, yeah, you gotta have a good coffee. You can't win with, with a, with a subpar coffee for sure. But, um, some people think the best coffee always wins. I don't know that that's the case. Cause it's definitely, if you look at the score sheets, you describing that coffee well is going to be important as well. And then there's the very bottom at the score sheet on brewers and breweries decide where that's customer service, overall impression, professionalism, knowledge outside. Like we're looking for knowledge outside this competition. Show us that you didn't just learn this and that's all you know. You know, there has to be some, uh, a display of professional knowledge outside of the drinks that you're serving. Um, in some way, whether that's how the coffee's grown, how it's processed, how it's roasted, specifics of how you're brewing it and why we're just looking for anything to show us that you have, not just been pulled off the street and memorized this routine. So <laughs> I find it really interesting recently that there's been a lot of uh, backstory on like dairy farms. Yes. What uh, <laughs> Bessie the cow was eating like before the competition. Totally. You know, before the co- the cappuccino course or whatever. It, that just seems amazing to me that, that, you know, this, this kind of a competition would even go so far as to like span out to a, to a dairy. Oh, I loved it. And And the point to be made is, um, at coffee shops, we sell just as much milk as coffee, if not more sometimes. So we should know if we're going to be craftsmen and we're going to say that, um, that what we're doing is, is valuable and we're going to assign value to it that's higher than the shop down the road, then we should know something more about what, what we're putting in our cup, especially if it's 75% of what's in the cup a lot of the time. So, so yeah, there've been barista origin trips to the dairy farm, <laughs> <laughs> which has been great. I love seeing, but yeah, it sounds nerdy, but then you're there and you're with the cows and they're awesome. And you're just like, this is cool. I, we actually get from a local dairy, we get our milk from a local dairy and well, there's a couple local dairies around here that have such a thing. It's like cow cams so that you can actually go online. And, Are you serious? <laughs> yes. That's the coolest. If you want to check out where your cows, how they're doing, how they're being treated, you know, you can just log on. So <laughs> has there been anyone who has competed for the U S barista championship that, has not worked in a coffee shop? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm sure there's more than just one, but one comes to mind is Charles Babinski's sister. She competed, and I just remember loving her routine because 
I mean, obviously her last name's Babinski, so people's heads were turning and she was just like, you know what? I love watching my brother train for these things and I love drinking coffee and you know what? I'm going to go for it. And so he, I believe, helped her train as well as the team from Intelli. It was back when he was with Intelligentsia before he opened GMB and go get him Tiger. So yeah, watching him watch her was one of the highlights of that year for me. It was the cutest thing ever. Um, and she did really well too. Uh, I don't think she advanced, but like she didn't look like she was a rookie out there. So it was great. Right. That's the one thing that kind of wrestles with me personally when I when I think of it's not that I I would love to work in a shop someday. That's not really it. But I, I always feel like I would have to go Brewers Cup one because I, I'm partial to filter. But the other side of me just feels like I would be going against the purpose of barista competition if I didn't actually serve that as a profession. Well, it'd be really hard for someone who didn't work at a shop or have access to that equipment to do well because you have to you have to get so familiar with your coffee. Leading up to competition, you're brewing that coffee every single day, you're pulling shots if it's espresso, if the barista side of things is what you're competing in, you're you're tasting it as shots pulled 20 different ways just to make sure you know that coffee and whatever it could do on the day. Um you have to taste it every day off the roast and record to figure out which day you like it the best so you know when you want to serve it to the judges so then you know when your roaster needs to roast it and all of that. And you have to taste it in milk and you have to develop a signature. So you have to do all this stuff. You have to have, a, you have, to have an espresso machine. And, um, yeah, I just the, the barrier to entry is pretty high because if you, if you haven't had practice and you're not one with your grinder and one with your machine, then you're already at a disadvantage. So, um you know, a lot of shops that are compete that are involved in competition and have been involved for five, 10 years, they have dedicated competition training space with identical competition equipment and the whole setups and judges and everything. So they're sending their baristas, um, into battle ready to go, you know? So if somebody's just coming off the street without any of that, but can pour a great cap and make a great espresso and, and maybe even do it all in the right amount of time, with the technical precision you need um, for the tech judges and everything, it'd be really challenging. I'd love to see somebody pull it off, but uh, yeah, I don't think it would be controversial. I think it'd be inspiring if anyone could actually do it, but really there's so much that goes into prep. It'd be hard to get ahead. You know, we have a, a diverse group of listeners, but a lot of people who do listen are just home brewers, you know, and uh, talking about competition stuff might just not necessarily be something that's in their mind, but what, what can home brewers and people who just like to drink coffee at home and they're trying to you know get to the next step in their journey what kind of things can they take away from the coffee championships i i mean there's i can't tell you how many times i've like googled to find uh, a routine or something because I'm like, what was that recipe that Aaron McCarthy used when he was doing that Kalita wave? What was that? You know, like, or the world air press championship, what's their recipe? Because why reinvent the wheel? If I've got a coffee and I don't have many t- much time or, um, much of it to, to have many attempts, I want to try a really great recipe right away. And if it's a method I'm not as familiar with, like the AeroPress, I'll, jump on and look at the last couple world AeroPress championships recipes and pick a recipe off there. Um, watching brewers cup routines. Um, the brewers should be giving some explanation of what they're doing. So a lot of times you'll get some innovation, um, innovation there. I remember 
watching Aaron McCarthy using flow restricted kettles versus non flow restricted kettles. And he was talking about the difference and how he wanted more agitation at this point in the brew and less. It's all fascinating. And if you're somebody who's into science and discovery, those routines are little 10 minute chunks of like, uh, little chunks of awesome little, little mini docs on how that, how that coffee from that country and, uh, in that region and that processing method, how that got brewed and what it tasted like. And I don't know the idea of bypass. Um, there's been people using that in competition, sifting of fines, all of these ideas that, I mean, I feel like there's no better place to play with that stuff than at home at a busy bar. You don't have time to see if sifting out 10% of your fines is going to improve your extraction, but at home you certainly can. And that's, I feel like sometimes when baristas and coffee pros get home, it's like the last thing they want to think about. So I feel like the home brewer really could check out some of those routines and be inspired to, to even, even better things than what we've seen on the stage so far. So how does somebody even prepare for a competition like this? I mean, what are they thinking about? What are they doing? Um, how much time are they even spending to get ready to compete for a competition like this? Yeah. I mean, some competitors, there's a discussion, a lively discussion that was happening on Twitter the other day. Um, some competitors, it's like six months uh, in advance, but I mean, typically you wouldn't even have your coffee by then because you want a really fresh coffee. I mean, there's a chance you would have just gotten it and it will still be fresh. Um, but I think most people really are only working with their coffee for a couple months, but there's still some of them training six months in advance with a different coffee just to get the muscle memory and the technical skills and the timing of it and doing drills, seeing if they can pull all of their shots in this amount of time and get them to the table and um, kind of, you know, yeah, drills and practice. But really, once you know what coffee you're going to use, it's just brewing that coffee every day and being very familiar with that coffee. And I'm talking barista side and brewer's cup side and brewer's cup side, because you're also going to have that, that heat where you're going to get a mystery coffee. You want to be like we, our brewer's cup, uh, competitor has been having our roaster just put together random mystery coffees for the last month so that she's just given a coffee and she's, she's like, Oh man, I had to sort a third of that out. It was so dirty. You know, like so we're just giving her coffees of all different ranges. Like we're giving her decaf, we're giving her our dark roast. We're giving her like, she needs to try to make every possible brew or bean that we give her sing and, and taste as good as it possibly can. So, um, yeah, just to get a coffee, um, that you're not used to brewing. Um, it might be a little darker roasted than what you're used to, or it might look a little like covered in chaff and you don't know what to do with it. So if you were just given a random coffee that was average, how could you, what could you do as a brewer to make it the absolute best it could be? And that's, that's a challenge. It's easy to make a really high quality coffee taste good or just not screw it up. But if you've got a coffee that's not so great, how do you prevent it from over extracting? How do you bring out sweetness without, you know, or how do you clean up the, the body if it's muddled and, you know, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of these coffees aren't for compulsory. They're not the highest quality, but there are some brewers who, when, as a judge of the brewer's cup, when, when their cup has come out and I don't know who it is still cause it was blind, but it's like, this guy is using a different coffee. Like, like huh. they all tasted like peanut chaff and paper and straw and burlap bag. But then this guy brought out acidity in this coffee. Like what happened? Like, how did he, did he spike it with another bean? Like, what did he do? Because like, this, this cup all of a sudden stands out from the rest. So that's kind of intriguing that you could take, 
yeah, who could take the lowest quality coffee to make it the highest quality is kind of kind of the heart behind the compulsory. And to just prove that you really didn't just buy the most expensive geisha you could find and then come not mess it up for the judges. You know, you have to have some skill uh, to make a compulsory coffee taste good. That's cool. Yeah, that was that was actually one of my questions, too, because it's something that you see a lot, or at least I see a lot in brewers. In barista, there's always a, a, a wide variety, I feel like, of you know different coffees people use. But in brewers, I feel like you often see geisha because, you know, they, they score well generally on a cupping table or something like that, you know, and they're nice coffees. So uh, the compulse around is interesting that um, that you would you you might not have all, you know, you might not come just with your one trick of how to brew something. You're going to have to prepare yourself for whatever's going to make that coffee taste the best that it can. That's uh it's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I don't see people bringing a ton of different brew methods. It seems like people kind of settle in on something that makes them feel really comfortable since they are brewing three at a time, which is not your normal morning brew. Um, so if they have to focus and be really intentional on every single brew and they're brewing three simultaneously, because in compulsory, you've got seven minutes to brew the three. So, um, you, you have to be moving. So yeah, they're like, I'm not going to brew this really fussy, V60 recipe when I'm not going to have time to get back to that first one by the time I'm done on the third, you know, they have to figure out a way to compromise with their time and the quality they feel comfortable with. Um, but yeah, a lot of times I would say there's a barista who, or not barista, a brewer rather, who would bring one brewing method that's with their coffee that they're going to, going to, going to brew for the judges. And then they would have they would either use that same method for a compulsory or they'd bring like one other method. But I don't see people like bringing their whole bag of tricks. Although I wouldn't say that's a bad idea. You know, who knows what the coffee's going to taste like? Why not brew it? But you only do get, why not brew it as many ways possible, but you only get 12 ounces of that coffee. So right. um, if we encourage people to sort the coffee and look through it, make sure there's no uh, odd stinker beans or Quakers or anything like that. And sometimes people have said, you know, I've sorted, I sorted half of it out, you know, now I only have six ounces of coffee left to brew for the judges. So I'm going to maybe brew it once and then once or twice. And hopefully I've got my recipe by then. And then the next morning you off you go compulsory coffee. So to be honest though, I think one of the most interesting things is still, you know, coming back to what you're saying in the very beginning about everything that you would learn from this competition, uh, aside from the competing aspect of it and how that can be implemented either in a shop or just in general practices. And even going back to when you're talking about the early competitors in 2004, 2005, you know, and they would go and learning from their mistakes. And it's just, it seems like a great potential to learn and grow. You know, some of the guys that uh, Brian and I, I'm sure both follow online and that, that have competed, you know, and they, do however well or not well that they do and and they get back on and do it again the next year. And it's interesting to watch them grow in whatever focus it is that they're going into competition with. I love watching baristas come back year after year and get better and better and better. And even the ones who finish next to last, they're like, oh man, I learned so much because the judges do debrief with the competitors afterwards. You get to talk to your judges and look over the score sheets. And there are baristas who are, sad and defeated because they didn't do as well as they thought. But even those are like, man, I learned so much. Like I'm like, maybe I didn't win this competition, but better believe I'm the best at my shop. I'm the best on my bar. I'm the tidiest barista. I've fast workflow. And I, you know, like I'm all these skills that maybe don't get 
uh, as much Instagram airtime, <laughs> like the latte art, but like all of the skills that, um, that you learn from barista competition, the, the, the efficiency, the workflow, the, the cleanliness of the bar, um, all of these things, you know, mise en place, the whole, uh, like the culinary world. If we really want to be taken seriously in the barista profession, we have to, uh, yeah, that's our role to, to step into, to, to be technicians and to be craftspeople and not to be pushing buttons and slinging McDoubles type people, you know? So what, what is your agenda look like for you know, the upcoming weeks or months or what all are you a part of this year, the rest of this year? So we've got Kansas City. I'll be there leading the, the workshop for the judges and overseeing all the judging. Um, same in, uh, in Atlanta in April. Uh, then in June, going to Dublin to judge the world. Um, trying to think. I'll probably have some coffee buying trips in between there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm involved with a nonprofit in Kenya. So in addition to doing coffee sourcing and buying trips there, I go visit that nonprofit uh, children's home micro community in Western Kenya. We're looking at starting to grow coffee there. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, lots of lots of international travel, um, thanks to the WBC being in Ireland and add that on to my typical travel. Uh, yeah, pretty busy. <laughs> Well, we really appreciate you taking some time to talk about the competition scene with us, especially, you know, leading into uh, Kansas City coming up, uh, which, again, it's something that uh, people might not be able to be catching on stream as much. But if you're on social, which a lot of people are, there's probably a lot of ways uh, to kind of stay in tune, whether that's uh, following uh, somebody's Twitter handle, I think, um, Sprudge is normally doing something. Sprudge Live. I'm sure they'll be yeah. Sprudge Live. I'm sure people will be doing Periscope now that that's picked up yes. too, and as opposed to seeing some of the live streams. So. Yeah, a lot of baristas are saying, can I Periscope my own routine <laughs> or whatever? And we're like, hey, go for it. We just don't have a live stream, official live stream, but you do what you do. So, Ryan, if you ever competed, I'm serious. You, part of your routine needs to involve like posting to Instagram while you're doing it. <laughs> What what if I just brewed with uh, everything I did was with my one hand and then I was on Instagram with the other with the other yeah live uh, live tweeting while you are yep. brewing for the judges there there was a competitor who did a selfie with his judges at the end of his routine <laughs> that happened and time <laughs> exactly <laughs> how many times have you seen the Tim Varney um, the craft of his little his little video thing. Yes. Yeah. The craft. I have personally just sat through it probably 10 times by myself and just laughed. But then I've also <laughs> been involved with showing it to like everyone I know, because I'm like, this oh. is how ridiculous it can be. Sometimes it's so great. And I think we've already linked it in the show notes to an episode before, but it'll definitely go in this. But just for, again, for the people who are not familiar with the com competition scene, is that what it's like? <laughs> um, I think that is what it's like at its worst. And I think he did a wonderful job, uh, making a parody of that. I think what's most vivid in my head is like the egg going into the whipped cream siphon and the cigarette being unrolled and the tobacco going in the whipped cream siphon and just everything. It's so silly. And just looking right over the customer, uh, the whole thing is just hilarious. You mean that's not a square one sig bev? <laughs> no, no, not yet. I guess it's just out, it's just out of country then. Yeah, it, I, think it's a, I think it's just a, a Varney thing. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so as we wrap up the episode here, we want to thank Jess for being on with us. Jess, why don't you go ahead and tell us where we can find you 
or find more about Square One on social media? Well, I my handle for um, Twitter and Instagram is Steffi Jess. Just because if I say Jess Steffi, there's like three S's there and it gets weird. So I do Steffi Jess. Also, sometimes people think that my name is just Steffi, like I'm Italian or something. So I go Steffi Jess. Um, that's my personal one. And then I run all the... Um, social media for square one coffee as well. So if you reach out, I'll be the one answering you. I'll seriously one more time. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, It's been an awesome conversation and both Brian and I, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are really excited to see all the stuff coming up uh, in next week's competition. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. All right, everybody. So if you haven't checked out our show notes for this episode, go to ibrewmyowncoffee.com slash 33. That's where we've thrown links to all the things that we've talked about in this episode including a listing of all the baristas and Brewers Cup competitors that are competing in next week's qualifying events. We're on Instagram at iBrewMyOwnCoffee. We're on Twitter at BrewMyOwnCoffee. If you ever need to send us an email, go to our website at iBrewMyOwnCoffee.com and click the Contact Us link at the top of the page. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and to all the competitors competing in next week's competitions, good luck, brew well, and, and time. time. So long, everybody.